4. The broken tower is a landmark of Camor, jutting ninety feet skyward at the very northern tip of the snare, that low and crowded district where sailors from a hundred ports of call are passed from bar to alehouse to gaming den and back again on a nightly basis. They are shaken through a sieve of tavern-keepers, whores, muggers, dicers, cobblecogs, and other low tricksters, until their pockets are as empty as their heads are heavy, and they could be dumped on ship to nurse their new hangovers and diseases. They come in like the tide and go out like the tide, leaving nothing but a residue of copper and silver, and occasionally blood, to mark their passing. Although human arts are inadequate to the task of cracking elder glass, the broken tower was found in its current state when humans first settled Camor, stealing in among the ruins of an older civilization. Great gashes mar the alien glass and stone of the tower's upper stories. These discontinuities have been somewhat covered over with wood and paint and other human materials. The sturdiness of the whole affair is hardly in question, but the repairs are not beautiful, and the rooms for let on the upper six floors are some of the least desirable in the city, as they are accessible only by rank upon rank of narrow, twisting exterior stairs, a spindly wooden frame that sways nauseatingly in high winds. Most of the residents are young bravos from various gangs, to whom the insane accommodations are a strange badge of honour. The last mistake fills the first floor at the wide base of the broken tower, and after the fall of false light it rarely has less than a hundred patrons in it at any given time. Locke clung tightly to the back of Father Chain's half-cloak as the older man elbowed his way past the crowd at the door. The outward exhalation of the bar's air was full of smells Locke knew quite well. A hundred kinds of liquors and the breath of the men and women drinking them Sweat both stale and fresh, piss and vomit, spiced pomanders and wet wool, the sharp bite of ginger and the acrid fog of tobacco. Can we trust that boy to watch our goat? Locke cried above the din. Of course, of course. Chains made some elaborate hand sign in greeting to a group of men arm wrestling just inside the bar's main room. Those not locked in bitter struggles grinned and waved back. First, it's his job. Second, I paid well. Third, only a crazy person would want to steal a gentled goat. The last mistake was a sort of monument to the failure of human artifice at critical moments. Its walls were covered in a bewildering variety of souvenirs, each one telling a visual tale that ended with the phrase, Not quite good enough. Above the bar was a full suit of armour, a square hole punched through at the left breast by a crossbow quarrel. Broken swords and split helmets covered the walls, along with fragments of oars, masts, spars, and tatters of sails. One of the bar's proudest claims was that it had secured a memento of every ship that had foundered within sight of Camor in the past seventy years. Into this mess Father Chains dragged Loch Lamora, like a launch being towed at the stern of a huge galleon. On the south wall of the bar was an elevated alcove, given privacy by rows of partially drawn curtains. Men and women stood at attention here, their hard eyes constantly sweeping across the crowd, their hands never far from the weapons they carried openly and ostentatiously, 
daggers, darts, brass and wooden clubs, short swords, hatchets, and even crossbows, ranging from slender alley pieces to big horse murderers that looked, to Locke's wide eyes, as though they could knock holes in stone. One of these guards stopped Father Chains, and the two exchanged a few whispered words. Another guard was dispatched into the curtained alcove while the first eyed Chains warily. A few moments later the second guard reappeared and beckoned. Thus it was that Locke was led for the first time into the presence of Vencarlo Barsavi, Kappa of Camor, who sat in a plain chair beside a plain table. Several minions stood against the wall behind him, close enough to respond to a summons, but far enough to be out of earshot for quiet conversation. Barsavi was a big man, as wide as chains, but obviously a bit younger. His oiled black hair was pulled tight behind his neck, and his beards curved off his chin like three braided whipcords of hair, one atop the other, neatly layered. These beards flew about when Barsavi turned his round head, and they looked quite thick enough to sting if they struck bare skin. Barsavi was dressed in a coat, vest, breeches, and boots of some odd dark leather that seemed unusually thick and stiff even to Locke's untrained eyes. After a moment the boy realized it must be shark-hide. The strangely uneven white buttons that dotted his vest and his cuffs and held his layered red silk cravats in place, they were human teeth. Sitting on Barsavi's lap, staring intently at Locke, was a girl about his own age, with short tangled dark hair and a heart-shaped face. She too wore a curious outfit. Her dress was white embroidered silk, fit for any noble's daughter, while the little boots that dangled beneath her hem were black leather shod with iron, bearing sharpened steel kicking spikes at the heels and the toes. So this is the boy, said Barsavi, in a deep, slightly nasal voice, with the pleasant hint of a Varari accent. The industrious little boy who so confounded our dear thief-maker. The very one, your honour, now happily confounding myself and my other wards. Chains reached behind himself and pushed Locke out from behind his legs. May I present Locke Lamora? Late of Shades Hill, now an initiate of Perilandro? Or some god, anyway, eh? Barsavi chuckled and held out a small wooden box that had been resting on the table near his arm. It's always nice to see you when your sight miraculously returns, Chains. Have a smoke. They're Jeremite Blackroot, extra fine, just rolled this week. I can't say no to that, Ven. Chains accepted a tightly rolled sheaf of tobacco in red paper. While the two men bent over a flickering taper to light up, Chains dropped his little bag of coins on the table at the same time, the girls seemed to come to some sort of decision about Locke. He's a very ugly little boy, father. He looks like a skeleton. Kappa Barsavi coughed out his first few puffs of smoke the corners of his mouth crinkling upward. And you're a very inconsiderate little girl, my dear. The copper drew on his sheaf once more and exhaled a straight stream of translucent smoke. The stuff was pleasantly mellow and carried the slightest hint of burnt vanilla. 
You must forgive my daughter Nazca. I am helpless to deny her indulgences, and she has acquired the manners of a pirate princess, particularly now that we are all afraid to come near her deadly new boots. I am never unarmed, said the little girl, kicking up her heels a few times to emphasize the point. And poor Locke most certainly is not ugly, my darling. What he bears is clearly the mark of Shades Hill. A month in chains keeping, and he'll be as round and fit as a catapult stone. Hmm. The girl continued to stare down at him for a few seconds, then suddenly looked up at her father, absently toying with one of his braided beards while she did so. Are you making him a peasant, father? Chains and I did have that in mind, sweetling, yes. Hmm. Then I want another brandy while you're doing the ceremony. Kappa Barsavi's eyes narrowed. Seams deepened by habitual suspicion drew in around his flinty grey stare. You've already had your two brandies for the night, darling. Your mother will murder me if I let you have another. Ask one of the men to get you a beer. But I prefer... What you prefer, little tyrant, has nothing to do with what I am telling you. For the rest of the night you can drink beer or air. The choice is entirely yours. Hm. I'll have beer, then. Barsavi reached out to lift her down, but she hopped off his lap just ahead of his thick-fingered, heavily calloused hands. Her heels went clack-clack-clack on the hardwood floor of the alcove as she ran to some minion to give her order. And if just one more of my men gets kicked in the shin, darling, you're going to wear reed sandals for a month, I promise. Barsavi shouted after her, then took another drag of tobacco and turned back to lock and chains. She's a keg of fire oil, that one. Last week she refused to sleep at all unless we let her keep a little garrote under her pillows. Just like Daddy's bodyguards, she said. I don't think her brothers yet realize that the next Kappa Barsavi might wear summer dresses and bonnets. I can see why you might have been amused by the thief-maker's stories about our boy here, Chains said, clasping both of Locke's shoulders as he spoke. Of course, I have become very hard to shock since my children grew above the tops of my knees, but you're not here to discuss them. You've brought me this little man so he can take his first and last oath as a peasant. A few years early, it seems. Come here, Locke. Kappa Barsavi reached out with his right hand and turned Locke's head slightly upward by the chin, staring down into Locke's eyes as he spoke. How old are you, Locke Lamora? Six? Seven? Already responsible for a breach of the peace, a burnt-down tavern, and six or seven deaths? The Kappa smirked. I have assassins five times your age. Who should be so bold? Has Chains told you the way it is, with my city and my laws? Locke nodded. You know that once you take this oath, I can't go easy on you ever again. You've had your time to be reckless. If Chains needs to put you down, he will. If I tell him to put you down, 
he will. Again, Locke nodded. Nazca returned to her father's side, sipping from a tarred leather alejack. She stared at Locke over the rim of this drinking vessel, which she had to clutch in both hands. Kappa Barsavi snapped his fingers. One of the toadies in the background vanished through a curtain. Then I'm not going to bore you with any more threats, Locke. This night, you're a man. You will do a man's work and suffer a man's fate if you cross your brothers and sisters. You will be one of us, one of the right people. You'll receive the words and the signs, and you'll use them discreetly. As chains, Yogarista is sworn to me, so you are sworn to me through him. I am Yogarista above all Garistas. I am the only Duke of Camor you will ever acknowledge. Bend your knee. Locke knelt before Barsavi. The copper held out his left hand, palm down. He wore an ornate ring of black pearl in a white iron setting. Nestled inside the pearl by some arcane process was a speck of red that had to be blood. Kiss the ring of the copper of Camor. Locke did so. The pearl was cool beneath his dry lips. Speak the name of the man to whom you have sworn your oath. Kappa Barsavi, Locke whispered. At that moment the Kappa's underling returned to the alcove and handed his master a small crystal tumbler filled with dull brown liquid. Now, said Barsavi, as has every one of my peasant, you will drink my toast. From one of the pockets of his waistcoat, the copper drew a shark's tooth, one slightly larger than the death mark Locke wore around his neck. Barsavi dropped the tooth into the tumbler and swirled it around a few times. He then handed the tumbler to Locke. It's dark sugar rum from the Sea of Brass. Drink the entire thing, including the tooth. But don't swallow the tooth, whatever you do. Keep it in your mouth. Draw it out after all the liquor is gone. And try not to cut yourself. Locke's nose smarted from the stinging aroma of hard liquor that wafted from the tumbler, and his stomach lurched, but he ground his jaws together and stared down at the slightly distorted shape of the tooth within the rum. Silently praying to his new benefactor to save him from embarrassment, he dashed the contents of the glass into his mouth, tooth and all. Swallowing was not as easy as he'd hoped. He held the tooth against the roof of his mouth with his tongue, gingerly, feeling its sharp points scrape against the back of his upper front teeth. The liquor burned. He began to swallow in small gulps that soon turned into wheezing coughs, after a few interminable seconds, he shuddered and sucked down the last of the rum, relieved that he had held the tooth carefully in place. It twisted in his mouth. Twisted physically, as though wrenched by an unseen hand, and scored a burning slash across the inside of his left cheek. Locke cried out, coughed, and spat up the tooth. It lay there in his open palm, flecked with spit and blood. Ah! said Kappa Barsavi, as he plucked the tooth up and slipped it back into his waistcoat, blood and all. So you see, you are bound by an oath of blood to my service. 
My tooth has tasted of your life, and your life is mine. So let us not be strangers, Loch Lamora. Let us be copper and peasant, as the crooked warden intended. At a gesture from Barsavi, Locke stumbled to his feet, already inwardly cursing the now familiar sensation of liquor rapidly going to his head. His stomach was empty from the day's hangover. The room was already swaying a bit around him. When he set eyes on Nazca once again, he saw that she was smiling at him above her ale jack, with the air of smarmy tolerance the older children in Shades Hill had once shown to him and his compatriots in streets. Before he knew what he was doing, Locke bent his knee to her as well. "'If you're the next Kappa Barsavi,' he said rapidly, "'I should swear to serve you too. I do. Madam, Madam Nazca. I mean, Madam Barsavi.' The girl took a step back. "'I already have servants, boy. I have assassins. My father has a hundred gangs and two thousand knives.' Nazca Bologna Genovese Angelise de Borsavi, her father thundered. Now it seems you only grasp the value of strong men as servants. In time you will come to see the value of gracious ones as well. You shame me. Nonplussed, the girl glanced back and forth between Locke and her father several times. Her cheeks slowly turned red. After a few more moments of pouting consideration, she stiffly held out her alejack to Locke. You may have some of my beer. Locke responded as though this were the deepest honour ever conferred upon him, realising, though hardly in so many words, all the while that the liquor was somehow running a sort of rump parliament in his brain that had overruled his usual cautious social interactions, especially with girls. Her beer was bitter, dark stuff, slightly salted. She drank like a Varari. Locke took two sips to be polite, then handed it back to her, bowing in a rather noodle-necked fashion as he did so. She was too flustered to say anything in return, so she merely nodded. Ha! Excellent! Kappa Barsavi chomped on his slender cigar in mirth. Your first peasant! Of course, both of your brothers are going to want some just as soon as they hear about this. <laughs>